Under the Dome Radio, the full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 9, entitled The Red Door. Recorded August 28th, 2014. Welcome back for Under the Dome Radio, the unofficial podcast by and for fans of CBS TV's Under the Dome. It's episode 41 of UTDR, and we've got show notes with links and stuff at underthedomeradio.com slash 41. And we highly encourage your feedback. We want to hear your dulcet tones on the next episode. Visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details on all the ways you can share your feedback with us. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network and is sponsored by our affiliate links. Pre-order season two of Under the Dome on Blu-ray and DVD and anything else you want to get from Amazon at underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon. I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, ever podcasting, Green Bay Packers and Zenith Zephyrs fan. Go teams. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs. My podcasting career started here and it'll end here for all of us. But either way, I'm still glad to be with you this week. (laughs) That sounded ominous for a moment, Troy. Almost with Instagram fuzzies around the outside, but we digress. Let's digress. What are we going to talk about tonight? The breaking news segment will be up first. We'll talk about some ratings as we went up against the Emmys this week and actually fared pretty well. And then, of course, on the air where Wayne and I will tell you about the awesome things happening under the red door. And then, of course, on location where we chat with all of you before we go into our investigative reports, where we preview next week's episode and then the requests and dedications where we can tell you all how to get out the love for the rest of the world to listen to the Under the Dome radio podcast. I love it when people are getting the love out. Let's go ahead and fire it off with the breaking news segment. Uh, Tell us how we fared against the Emmys. I I never watch the Emmys anymore, so I was watching Dome. How about other people? This was the first year I actually did not watch the Emmys, and I figured I would just catch all the clips on YouTube that I needed to see, and that's what I did. Because I was very, very upset that our fellow friend Mark in Canada, who does a great Orphan Black podcast, as well as our friend Stephanie, who does Tatiana is Everywhere, because Tatiana Malazny was not nominated at all for her work in Orphan Black. I boycotted the Emmys this year. I also boycotted because Big Jim himself was not nominated for his Breaking Bad performance. So I spent my time watching the Dome along with my fellow six and about a half million people that decided to tune in. But it did a series low 1.4 in the demo. But still, for a summertime show, that's that's pretty good. I mean, to think about six million plus people watching under the dome. I know everybody wants their show to be 15 or 20 million all the time. But hey, six and a half million people or so. It, it's good. I, I haven't heard any official word on a season three or not, but things are looking good in that regard if people want to do it. Well, you know, and we talk about the ratings and for those that might not know, Amazon actually pays $900,000 per episode for Under the Dome exclusive rights. Plus it's in 65 countries. So honestly, the show makes a profit before any episode airs on CBS. So the ratings are really more just a gauge of are people still going to want to watch it? And that may go into Amazon's deal next year if a season three were to come around. But for this year, ratings don't mean squat. Because they're already in the black. (laughs) There you go. It's all just a formality. This week's episode was directed by Peter Weller of RoboCop fame and also the latest Star Trek movie. And I think he actually got something out of the actors this week. Or it could have been the fact that it was written by three people. Kelly Souders, Brian Peterson, and Adam Stein. So would you say the combination of the writers helped bring this episode up a little bit? Or was it because Peter Weller was getting more out of the actors with the kind of writing they had? I do not have a comment on either of those questions. So listeners, let us know what you think about Troy's questions there. Give us a call 904-469-7469. Let's go ahead and go on the air, Wayne. And I will pass the baton to you this evening to start us off because... You weren't so keen on it after the initial watch. I'm curious to see what your thoughts were after you watched it a second time. Well, I don't want to be, you know, like a downer or anything like that, because this is all about fun and entertainment. With that being said, I did watch it a second time and uh, no, (laughs) 
This was not the worst episode of Under the Dome ever. We can't talk about that episode. <laughs> no, that that one, you know, has the, those special rules tied to it. Um, now, we have Don Barber, though. The way he's allowing these black ops guys to do whatever it takes to get information from Barbie just to get Julia to hand over the egg. They're really strong arming poor Barbie. But what was funny was Don Barber's video clip that he made and just the way he was reading it going and the power source. You call it the egg. I'm thinking, yes, of course we call it the egg. It's shaped exactly like an egg. Of course, we're going to call it the egg. The funny part about that scene was how did the outside world know it was called the egg? Whoever communicated outside of the dome that it was an egg. Did Barbie talk about it with his dad? I can't remember if they actually had that conversation or not a, a week or two ago. I don't think they did. It, perhaps there's a, a mole on the inside at Chester's Mill that's been communicating back with the hacker and, and the other people. That, that's a that's a fine question. But judging by the fact that it's shaped exactly like an egg, that would be my first guess since they do have hidden cameras and video surveillance all over the planet. Uh, they've surely got a shot of it at one point in time. The way they were writing the episode this week, the security guard, who, of course, we thought was kind of expressionless from our <coughs> initial reactions episode, he was True. sitting there and said, you know, you'll be safe, Barbie, as long as you talk. But he never said he had to answer any questions. I was waiting for a snarky line from Barbie like that. It's like, well, I've been talking. Why are you hitting me? I, you didn't tell me <laughs> how to answer any questions. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. But I, when I rewatched the scene a second time, I made a point to really focus on that guy. And yeah, very expressionless, just like his uniform, the way Barbie uh, commented to him, you know, there's no flag insignia or anything that goes against the Geneva Convention. I'm like, whatever. But then did you notice that the security guard came back with his own quip like, oh, because of this situation, I don't have to give you any rights either. Yeah. He's like not really a security guy, but he then quotes another thing to make it sound like he's a security guy. He needs a little more training. Barbie actually gave us a little bit of a PSA to use on the radio station. Did you hear it this week? I did hear it, but I've lost track. What, what were his uh, very vibrant words? It turns out that if you want something, you'll never get it. That sounds more like a bumper sticker than a PSA for our radio station. But hey, if uh, if Barbie calls it into us, we'll share it on the show. Because, you know, we all saw that little sign that with him saying subscribe to Under the Dome Radio and iTunes. So maybe he will give us a call. Yeah, if you want that bumper sticker, you can come to our remote. We'll be at Big Jim's car lot doing a live broadcast. You can pick up your bumper sticker there. As long as whoever's out for Big Jim doesn't light us on fire while we're at the remote like they did to the car that was under the sign. Now, this was an interesting one because I've been using a door probably my whole life. You've been <laughs> using a door probably your whole life. Yeah, for at least 10 years now. But if you haven't taken art theory yet... You don't understand how a door works. Really? That's what Pauline says. She says that you have to take <laughs> art theory to understand how a door works. She is insane. Not to mention the fact that just because what's his name was one of her star pupils in her art class, that qualifies him to be an IT expert. And now it explains why I'm so confused when I'm going through these doorways, because she says that a door symbolizes that it's a way in somewhere. And here the whole time, I thought it was a way to get out. <laughs> so confusing. And of course, she clarifies further because, you know, the original door, which was like the locker, was the way out. So, of course, this other door painting must be the way in instead of maybe two doors that both lead out. Well, it was a yellow locker with a red hand. And now this is a red door with a yellow hand. Well, as they're discussing the concept of the egg as they're calling it, even though we all know it's been the egg for quite some time. Right. Don is talking to Barbie and says that the egg is the only thing, the only thing in the entire world that is worth trading for your life. I guess that's really where his focus is. It, it pays to niche down, as I hear on a lot of other podcasts. So focus on the fact that you want that egg. You don't want anything else. You don't want a few tickets on the 50-yard line at Lambeau Field. You don't want an autographed Elvis Presley cape. You want the egg that some people call the power source. Now, and he used that line twice. He used it with Barbie and with Julia. So, and the question I had coming out of that, is that just a line or 
Is there someone that Don Barbara even has to negotiate in order to make a deal? Don really does seem like he's doing all of this himself for his power company. But if there's anything that we've learned from watching almost every other mysterious television show that's ever been put on television, if we get a season three, there's probably going to be an even bigger, batter person that's in control of everything. I, I could go either way on this right now. I'm thinking it's all done, but at the same time, I would not be surprised if there's somebody who's the ultimate puppet master. Big Jim, big week for him this week. And the thing that I have to like about Big Jim is that he is so predictable because he's <laughs> having this great conversation with his son, James, at the cliff in the tunnel. And he's just going on about, you know, Pauline and how he could have done more and he feels really bad and kind of has this bonding moment with Junior to kind of get him to spill some information. And then he just immediately turns it around and says, it's up to me. I got to save the town. I have to get them all down here to jump off the cliff. Me, 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 my, my, my. That's true. He does have a way of bringing it all back to Big Jim. Now, it's interesting, though, the way they're talking about this is where Barbie jumped. Barbie did not jump. Barbie was on a rope, slowly going down, spelunking. And then when he got close enough to the Zenith playground, it pulled him the rest of the way. But there was no jumping involved. Lyle may have jumped. Barbie did not. Lyle, I'm sure, actually probably just stumbled over the edge as he was muttering something because he was going crazy <laughs> the closer he got to the cliff. Well, you know, dry soap doesn't lather up because if it did, you would be under the foam. Oh, snap. Oh, it's good stuff. Well, then the Wi-Fi signal comes back and we're of course. talking about some email coming in. And before the email comes up with the video message, there was a Hounds of Diana message that Nori pointed out. And we never got to click on that message to see what it was. A deleted scene to be on the Blu-rays and DVDs that you can pre-order now at underthedomeradio.com slash season one. Or was it a, hey, everybody in the watching, viewing audience, go to houndsofdiana.com and you might actually get to see what that message is. It could be that too. It did strike me especially odd on the second viewing that they just kind of skipped right over that to some other strange video. Clip this link. And we've barely got a Wi-Fi signal, but man, that video, it was like 1080p. I think it was actually 4K. It might have been. That was one crystal clear video. It's the power source. We need it. You may refer to it as the egg. It was so crystal clear. You could almost read right through this lie. I didn't believe anything he said at all. It wasn't even believable for the audience, let alone Julia. Right. And remember, she is a reporter, so she should be able to see through these things real darn shame that I got to meet you this way. The woman that means so much to my son. I'd like to see Julia Shumway's husband come back either as an apparition or to find out that he didn't really die. You know, one scene that really got both myself and my wife yelling at the TV for the unbelievable factor. Retell myself, it is a television show, but Super Barbie's daring escape, you know, not only were the lines predictable, I almost muttered them before both characters actually said them. But the fact that uh, right when he needed to, he was able to take that extremely long chain. I've never seen a prisoner chained up with a like a 10 foot chain that was that shiny. And he's just able to wrap that around the guy, break out and escape from the whole thing. Because normally, I would think in most prisons, if you are chained to a shiny table in an interrogation room, don't they keep the chain like maybe six inches or less? Keep you real close to the table so you can't strangle the guard. Yeah. I mean, usually not that I've had firsthand experience, nor has Wayne had firsthand experience, but uh, yeah, typically you would actually have the handcuffs and the ankle cuffs, and then they would be chained together as you're walking. And then when you get in the interrogation room, they take the chain part off and then handcuff you to the table where there's a bar on top of the table. And that way your hands are close to the top of the table and can't go underneath it. For that exact reason, so that you can't grab the chain and escape. That seems very plausible. That sounds like how, if I was running a prison, I, that's how I would set it up. Yeah, so convenient storytelling to have a long chain that they forgot to undo from the cuffs. <laughs> oh, well, he escaped and everybody's happy. Super Barbie's on the loose. But Melanie's freaking out all over the place. I don't trust her, Troy. I do not trust Melanie. I mean, she like flipped. I mean, we were talking about all season since this magnetism thing, like people just aren't acting themselves. And literally after that message and Julia's like, I get, I'm going to get the egg. I'm going to go do it. And Melanie is like, 
whoa, wait, what? We got to protect the egg. What are you doing? And she's like screaming at the top of her lungs and stuff. And this started to make me think like, is the dome influencing her? And we're getting back to the Melanie that we saw back in episode one where she had more ties to the dome. That would just be strange just because we have different writers almost every week that all of a sudden she's going to be that type of Melanie again. It did seem that way though. At the same time during the scene, I almost thought Nori was going to pull out her finger again and start poking Melanie in the forehead. This dome didn't do anything good for my mom or for my sister, but yeah, we got to protect the egg. All this stuff about the dome is here to protect us. There hasn't been much protecting going on in season two with between Phil Bushy and the fires and the explosions and the, but what's interesting is kind of looking back at this whole season I thought we were going to have all sorts of deaths. You know, we had a couple of big ones in the first episode. And after that, you know, one or two minor characters. But uh, for the most part, everybody's alive and relatively well, though they are acting really weird. Maybe they're saving up for a pretty huge toll for the end of the season. That would be my guess. That would be my hope. They're out about half the population at once. Tear this thing down. Let's get some focus. Science teacher's definitely behind that. <laughs> Science teacher's probably the first one to go if they take any of the fan reactions to heart. I mean, I've heard all sorts of people. Um, sorry to the actress that plays Rebecca Pine, but <laughs> I think she's most likely to go. I love this week how she's like a lurker just sitting there in the hallway and then, oh, hey, hi, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, I was lied to. Yeah, pretty much. Now we see some realistic product placement within Under the Dome because the military is actually using a tough book and not a Microsoft Surface tablet. Well, you know, they always go for the realistic stuff here on Under the Dome. They do? <laughs> when, when the military is involved, let's at least try to make it realistic. That was interesting. I, I don't know how legit the screen was that they were showing, but I, I could care less. It was just interesting how basically... That guy and Big Jim are, in a way, text messaging to each other, writing little notes and trying to get to the bottom of who's in charge. And, you know, Jim Rennie, his art is very similar to his wife's. Did you see his interpretation of an egg? I was trying to figure out what that was. I think it was an egg. <laughs> I'm not positive. I know what you're looking for. A circle, a zero, <laughs> a snowball. Car tire, iPod click wheel. I think that you are changing allegiances. I get the sense that you are starting to be a big Jim fan. Well, yes and no. <laughs> um, as this season has progressed and just with all the craziness, wild episodes and just some utter nonsense, I, I'm actually kind of pulling for big Jim. I want to see him go full bore big Jim, like in the Stephen King novel under the dome. Let's let's thin the herd, the Jim Rennie way. And uh, make it much more exciting and more drama filled. Go Big Jim. I actually kind of like his tender moments this week where he's really seems remorseful about his wife. And of course, with that happening all throughout the episode, you knew that that big payoff was going to be coming at the end. Mm -hmm. It might have only have been about what, about a 30 second scene at the absolute most. But that was the scene of the episode, which, of course, is there to suck us back in next week. I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't save that scene for the very, very last scene of this season and make us wait an entire 10 months to find out what happens next. But so now we're going to find out some stuff because you can only imagine that there's going to be a very interesting conversation between Pauline and Jim. If I would have done that scene, I probably would have done it a little different. So we see the door open. I probably would have shot it from the point of being like on the floor up the staircase towards Pauline and only seeing like a pair of shoes. Cause then you wouldn't know if it was big Jim or junior that saw her and then like have them like drop a cup of coffee or something and shatters on the floor, or cut the black. Cause then at least you have like that. Oh my gosh. Who's at the front door moment to go into next week. I can see that. That's, that's a good one. Troy, you've rewritten a lot of scenes quite brilliantly for not only under the dome, but for, Falling Skies and other TV shows, they, they really do need to consult with you on some of these because that would build even more suspense and probably cause a lot more theories to uh, be called in because everybody wants to know who saw Pauline. But we know who saw Pauline and he's pretty dang uh, stunned about it. 
Now, she didn't get there without sacrifice, though, because Pauline had a really bad feeling about going into that red door. Clearly, the swirly, cloudy mud creature doesn't do anything bad to them. So the question becomes, what is the bad feeling Pauline had? And is that translating to Lyle being missing? That's a legitimate question as well. I'm also wondering, once they bubbled up out of the lake and you know got off their knees after catching their breath after such a harrowing experience, and then she ends up upstairs, what, how much time passed? I only ask because in that scene where Big Jim uh, discovers her, he looked to be totally dry all of a sudden. Well, she had to walk all the way from Sam's cabin at the lakefront there, all the way back to the Rennie household. Well, it seemed like she made it in pretty quick time, but okay, let's let's say it was a two-hour walk, and that's why she's so dry. And if the weather inside the dome is eventually turning to be more like the book, then it should be a little bit warmer under the dome with the sun beating through the magnifying glass, which would also help dry her out faster. The sky's awfully blue under the dome on the TV version. Let's talk about these flashbacks then, or flash forwards, or in the same moment. Let's talk about them. Barbies. How did you think of, what did you take from? Because there were some choice words in here. It said, now it'll be here to remember so that it can remind you of when you were little. And Barbie comes back with, will you come back before I grow big? Now, I know you always yell at me because I go the alien route all the time. <laughs> I would never yell at you for that. <laughs> but th the way that was worded tells me Barbie is something different, whether it's human, whether it's alien. I don't know. But something about that line really tripped me the second time to go, hmm, why is he so concerned about growing up? That's an interesting way to look at it. And I'm not going to yell at that. I like the whole alien concept. My thought, because those were really strange lines, my thought was, who the heck is writing this stuff? Well, and the other line that he had was, why are you only here today? Which means that he had to have seen her before, or is he getting a glimpse of as he's crossing over to have this memory or this vision or whatever it is, are, are the thoughts combining between older Mike Vogel and younger Mike Vogel? I think that line was definitely put there for all of us to have this conversation that we're having right now. I have no idea what that means. But obviously, there's other forces at work trying to make sure that these two cross paths, but even for just brief moments. The biggest thing from that scene is that he puts his hand on a painted red or in a formerly yellow, but now painted red door. And the red paint is on his hand, very similar to the blood of the cow on his hand from the opening of Under the Dome. And somehow so much red paint came off that it reveals the yellow underneath. And is that um, approved paint? I mean, not, no lead paint, hopefully, back in those days, because that lead could really mess up a kid. Well, you're assuming that it's 1988 at that point. True. It could be even further back, or it could be in the future, and time is bending in on itself. I, I don't know. I think it's too early to tell. They're just now planting those seeds for us. I bet uh, we'll get clues in the next uh, two or three episodes. There's only four more this season, right? Yeah, I believe so. Nine, so 13 total. The big question is, is are we going to get a two-hour finale or is it going to be that first Monday of the new television season for the last episode? That we'll have to figure out when it comes to. Yeah, I wasn't able to find out anything about it. They don't even have a uh, name assigned to it on some of the sites I was checking. I avoid spoilers, but I was just trying to figure out how many episodes left, depending on what type of speed they're going to go with on the show. So it's four episodes I think last year it was just a one hour finale, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a full 13 run, one hour each week. So maybe they'll do the same this year. I bet they do. The big question is, is within those next four episodes, is Pauline's vision for James going to come true? Because he was told by his mom that Sam was going to come to save him. It just wasn't nine years ago at the funeral. It's so strange the, the way that scene played out with the, the young junior, Rennie, and the way Sam was so prominent in it, the whole thing just seemed creepy. I, I couldn't, I don't have a theory assigned to it. Just the feeling of creeped out. Well, if we go to a lost connection for this evening, I'd be really curious to find out what happened in the years between 88 and now, because James was really freaked out about staying with his dad. 
and he was totally bought into his mom's paintings and visions. Why is that? What was Jim doing at that time other than not protecting Pauline? And maybe he was just drinking too much or I don't know. There, there just is more depth to Jim's character in that time period that needs to be discovered. Not to mention the fact that, you know, we've had a few references to Sam being an alcoholic, whether he's recovered now or not in these flashbacks, he doesn't seem like an alcoholic either. So I'm not even sure at what time frame Sam was sloppy Sam. And then, of course, the swirly smoke monster sends Pauline to a kind of extraterrestrial plane, I guess we'll call it, where the egg is pulsing and pulsing and pulsing. And Melanie shows up and says, of course, this is where it all began and this is where it ends. For all of us, ominous. Very, very ominous. I mean, maybe the whole town of Chester's Mill is just going to implode at that point and they'll all be gone. But we'll find out in the end that they were actually all astronauts in suspended animation aboard a spacecraft. And this was just a way to keep themselves entertained while they just wait to get to a inhabited planet. But again, the choice of words I thought was very interesting because she says for all of us, who is us? The original four hands, all of Chester's mill, all the people that are just the A actors on the show or the B actors on the show. <laughs> or every single human being on this planet. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's a good question, Troy. Very vague, very vague. We'll have to wait and see. They all come back to Chester's mill in one piece, except for Lyle. That'll be the big question going forward. And thanks to Rebecca Pine for getting rid of the red rain and neutralizing the lake, because that's how the methane must have gone away. You always have to have a top-notch science teacher on your team. Well, I will yield the floor to you, Mr. Henderson, for your ratings this week. Okay. I give this episode 5.99. I so wanted to give it a 6 because it just sounds that much more positive, but just couldn't quite get a 6. So 5.99 homemade egg detectors. How about you? I thought it was actually pretty good on the rewatch. I was more in your line on the first pass through second pass through because of the choice of words during some of the key moments of this week. I bumped it up to a seven, seven spinning chairs of evil. <laughs> spinning chairs of evil. That's ominous, but seven is not. I like that. You know, Julia. You should know me better by now. <laughs> you could just see him kind of tapping his fingers together. I'm going to think that every single time I watch him sitting in that chair now. Let's go on location. Let's find out what the listeners have, because that's where some theories came in that actually brought me all the way up to that 5.99 rating, because I was going to be a bit lower. I have to be honest, but some of the theories were so fantastic that came in this week that it actually made me open the door, so to speak, to a little higher rating and some more possibilities. So what do we have on location? Well, our first note comes from Nicholas Wood. He emailed in and said, hey, guys, this is Nicholas. I would have bet a year's worth of propane that the door Ben drew on the side of the dome was going to be the way back in. It just had to be filled in when Pauline painted her painting. That's what I'm talking about. That's good stuff. That would have been fantastic. I mean, it's right there on the edge of the dome. Nobody has to go through lockers or through methane filled lakes. Nicholas, thank you for that. Um, I don't know why. I mean, the actor, um, John Elvis, that plays Ben must just be busy on another show because so many people love him. I'm surprised we only saw him for that four minutes of asthma filled smoke inhalation from the, uh, the sandstorm. I, I want to see him paint more doors. Well, Tim in Nashville then dropped us a note and said, Hey, Troy and Wayne, I have a couple of thoughts regarding under the dome. First, what if there were more than one egg that fell from the sky 20 years ago, one that fell in Chester's mill and one or potentially more that fell in Zenith or elsewhere. Barbie senior found one, maybe actually is searching the world for the others and has found a way to harness the egg as an energy source. That is how his company is creating the power that they generate. The dome dropped on Chester's mill to protect the last egg from joining all the others that Barbie senior has and would basically do some kind of time rift or calamity. If all the eggs came together, not sure who was actually causing the dome itself though. 
couple other random thoughts. Is there a way that the new forehands are all related to the old hands? That may be what caused the dome to drop in the first place. All four bloodlines are together again. We know Junior's mom was one, and I also think that Sam is his biological father, which is why he is so special. Nori's father donated his sperm to her mom's, so who knows who he is? Julia could be related to Melanie as a cousin, maybe, since they both seem to have a connection to each other and the egg. I am not sure about Joe and Angie, but since the writers are purposely not showing their parents, who knows? Just a thought. One more, I thought it was strange that Angie's bloody red handprint could be seen on a yellow locker after her death, and the last shot of the last episode shows a yellow hand on the red door. Maybe hinting at parallel worlds. Random, I know. Love the podcast. Can't wait for your reviews on the upcoming episodes. Tim, that is fantastic. And that is a well-thought-out, uh, mind-blowing theory. I, I'm stunned right now because I didn't preview some of the emails ahead of time because I knew you were working on them. And you're right. This is a, a good one. What'd you pull out of it? Well, I thought that it was really great about potentially multiple eggs because we talked about at the end of the first season how wouldn't it be cool if there were other domes and that's how they make it different than the book. So knowing that this egg fell from space, could it be that there are multiple meteors that did crash on Earth? And if they all did get together, that something bad might happen. And I wonder because the egg is the one that showed everybody a picture of Zenith. So the egg wants to go there. And of course, the big question is the obelisk. Is that some kind of drawing point or is the obelisk just an obelisk and we're reading too much into it? The obelisk is very strange looking. So I think it has to play into it as more than just a landmark saying you are in the magical town of Zenith. You know, maybe there are 12 eggs and you could put them in one of those little containers like you buy eggs at the grocery store in. And then you have a full set because everything is more valuable when you have the collector's full edition. Let's check out the listener voicemail line at plus one nine oh four four six nine seven four six nine with our good friend Mr. Jeff Gentry. Okay guys, this is Jeff Gentry, X Force Eleven. Couple things. One, when the little kid came out of the red door at the playground, what was he holding? Looked like the drone to me. So he's found the play toy, the the drone from Chester's Mail is there. Um so, number two, when the guys go through the portal and come out in the lake in Chester's Mill, where did they come out? The exact same spot where Melanie came out. So, that spinning vortex of transportation uh, kind of reminded me of Smokey from Lost, um, took them from one place to another but it also showed the memories at the same time. So is it just a transportation between two places or is it a time and transportation? Because like Melanie comes out there. So I'm just wondering, you know, it seemed to like reach out and grab them as opposed to them just, falling from the exit from Chester's Mill. So just uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's controlling it. Um, And, you know, is it, you know, did they actually go back in time and see that point? Or was that just a memory when they were coming through? So uh, just interesting. Uh, Thought it had some interesting points, but not the strongest episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. Jeff Gentry, thanks so much. Oh my gosh, I've watched it twice and I didn't even pick up that it was the drone that the kid was holding. That's totally <laughs> awesome. I didn't catch it either. My wife actually caught it and I said, no, I think they got that back. But uh, good catch, Jeff. You are correct. That's, you know, it, it pays to have a good science teacher and good science projects. Well, the bigger thing that he's mentioning is this whole transportation system And I mentioned on the initial reactions that did they die and then came back to life because that's how Melanie could have came back. But I really like his theory. Maybe they time traveled to these moments and kind of witnessed these moments kind of out of body experience like before being sucked to the present day. I think that's a really interesting twist also. I like that one a lot. I I can see them going this way. I, I, I think that is what is happening after I heard 
Jeff explain it. Jeff, X-Force 11 on Twitter, you rock, and I think you're spot on. Well, more comments came in on our underthedomeradio.com website. Of course, you can leave a comment on any of the podcast posts. So Mike actually wrote and said, if only Big Jim had procured a big fluffy white cat to stroke when he swung around in his comfy chair, he'd be the perfect Bond villain. As for the plot, well, surely the egg, it is indeed generating the dome's power and cannot be removed or it would cause a catastrophic failure. What do you think, Wayne? Dome powering egg or just an egg? Uh, I would not be surprised if it's a dome being powered by an egg, but I just had a vision of his uh, Bond villain. But my, I have to admit, Mike, my first thought was CeeLo Green on The Voice. He wants Big Jim on his team. He's going to push that big red button. Well, it sounds like we've got a new caller this week at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine. Keep that voicemail ringing. Hey, Troy and Wayne, this is Andy. Love your show. Wondering what you guys thought about uh, when everybody popped out in the lake. Barbie says to everybody, did you see something weird? Something like that. Sam said he saw a memory. Pauline says she saw a vision. But Barbie didn't say what he saw. So when he saw Melanie back when he was a kid, do you think that was a vision? Do you think it was a memory? Or could it be something else? Just wondering what you guys think. Keep up the show. Thanks. Andy, thank you so much for your call. It's always great to hear from a new caller, adding them to the voicemail mix. And I did not even catch that, even after watching the episode twice. What is Barbie hiding? Yeah, I thought that was a really great pickup by Andy as well. I mean... He doesn't say if it was a memory or if it was a future look or if it was a vision. He was very nondiscreet about what he saw. I wonder if that's because it pertained to Melanie or if we truly don't know if it was a memory or not. And he was just confused because, again, of that language, when will I grow up and all that jazz. It's, it's a very interesting scene. And I think we're going to have to watch that scene a couple of times to really see what were we told there without giving too much away. But at the same time, I think that's a pivotal scene for the rest of the duration. Right. Or maybe there was even more to it than what we were shown that Barbie is keeping secret. Like we'll see that scene again with the extended edition on a future episode. Or maybe that particular scene, even though it involved young Barbie, maybe that's more of a Melanie flashback and not a Barbie flashback. That's true. Do we know that that's Barbie himself? I mean, he said that he knows where the door is because he did the handprint or whatever it was when he was talking to all the guys at Hunter's apartment. So we have to assume it was Barbie. But yeah, there's nothing that says that that actually was little Barbie that Melanie was talking to. And if it was, Barbie needs to stop sticking his hands into red paint and red blood. And who knows what he's going to do next? He, he he just loves leaving handprints. He's kind of a narcissist. Well, Lucifer hit the website again and said, I actually start to like Ms. Science Teacher slash the scientist slash Rebecca. Her acting is superb, but I suggest that she just needed to hire a new personal scriptwriter to save her reputation. This episode also, if they still believe in trust, they weren't paying attention. It's nice to see also a musical version of Under the Dome could be a spinoff show. Or just a couple of episodes, because I wonder how it is to perform inside a dome so much bigger than the opera house. Also, I want to see Barbie singing Love is an Open Red Door and, of course, Big Jim belting on my own. See, there are endless storylines they could come up with, but of course, it's just up to them. I love it. I do, too. I, In fact, I think the Rolling Stones could sing I See a Red Door and I Want to Paint It Black. They could put that right in there and it'd fit perfect. Nice to see the black, or is it gray smoke? <laughs> I thought it would bring them to the island. How lame that is that they ripped off. The show is undeniably comparative to Lost. And then there it is. It confirms it's smoke. They could actually just show the flashback without the tornado smoke, but hey, they insisted. Seems that the show is getting bigger already, yet their world is getting smaller. Like all the cast are from, if not near, Chester's Mill, some from Zenith, and if not, an uncle, a student, another nanny. It's all kind of tied together in some way, shape, or form. So interesting how they want to make the show bigger to keep it going, but yet everything is so small in its reach. Too bad for this episode. I only heard Nori once or twice. Instead of giving Melanie more airtime, why don't they give that 
slot to Hunter's building up of his character. I'm sure there's a lot to tell when IT takes over. Lastly, the three adult egg keepers are so fun to watch. They are like Big Nori, Big Joe, and Big Junior. Spoiler alert, there will be a battle of finding the egg between the three adult egg keepers and the three teen egg keepers. So buckle up because it's going to get even more exciting. <laughs> wow, those those are fantastic comments. I, I do want to point out that it's very interesting that he noticed that uh, you know, everybody's either from Chester's Mills, Zenith, or maybe somebody's an uncle, a student, a mother, a nanny, which makes me think a little more about my theory that is so much like the Philip K. Dick book, Maze of Death. Of course, everything can be tied back to either Lost or a Philip K. Dick book. But the fact that maybe these people are all together and maybe in suspended animation or they just go way back somewhere. And the rest of this, basically, this made up world is revolving around them. Not sure yet. <laughs> anyway, we have another voicemail to share with you. Um, thoughts and theories coming in from Bowie. This is Neil from Bowie calling Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 9, The Red Door. Uh, once again, the most interesting things were happening for the most part outside of the dome. Uh, most of the what was happening under the dome was uh, overcome by events by the end of the episode. So Acteon has its own private security force, which is unfettered access to the dome, though they appear to be worried about getting caught doing some things. After capturing Barbie, they let him escape in order to follow him and see if he does know a way back into the dome. Pauline, Sam, Lyle try to find the red door. They are followed by Acteon personnel in the park and lose them eventually. And uh, they hide out with Hunter at the Hounds of Diana headquarters. Speaking of uh, Hounds of Diana, there are recent videos there of uh, testing the quadcopter before sending it into the pit. And uh, a video of walking on water. So after escaping... Barbie finds his way to the Hounds HQ, and he recognizes the picture of the red door as the root cellar near his home. On the door when they get there is a small handprint. Pauline uh, was still getting visions, and one of her visions is of swirls while in the playground. When they go into the root cellar, Barbie notices something new, which mysteriously leads to a tunnel. In the tunnel, we see Pauline's vision come true, smoky swirls. While being transported back under the dome and into the lake, each of them gets a vision except for Hunter. Sam has memories of Pauline's funeral with Junior telling him that Pauline said that Sam was going to save him one day. Presumably we will see this happening soon. Barbie has a vision of a memory of Melanie helping him put his handprint on the red door. Melanie tells him that she'll see him again one day. And... She also mentions that her mother wanted her to do this. So, is there something significant about her mother that we're going to learn in a future episode? Pauline has a vision of the egg in the crater with uh, Melanie standing there. Melanie tells her this is where it began and this is where it ends for all of us. Sounds like the original four hands may be dying soon. There's no sign of Lyle. Did he make it back or did he just appear somewhere else? An Acteon guard who followed Barbie looks into the root center and reports back. Now, though, that Pauline and Barbie are back in Chester's Mill, will the passage between Zenith and Chester's Mill still be there? I wouldn't be surprised if it goes away. The episode ends with Pauline and Big Jim looking at each other and sure to have another exciting episode next time under the dome. Neil from Bowie, thank you so much uh, for putting that together, sending that in. Interesting references to walking on water and also noticing the fact that uh, the handprint and kind of being forced to put it there almost. And I keep wondering if we're going to see a handprint that has an extra finger on it like they had on Fringe or if it's going to say not Barbie's red door. I don't know. But either way, Neil, thank you so much uh, for all of your great theories and thoughts uh, throughout the season. And it really makes you wonder where are they going to go next other than explaining Big Jim talking to Pauline? Because that's obviously what most of us want to know about. Well, and I think it goes back to the four hands as well, because when the original four hands bump into the new four hands, what's the egg going to do? It's going to like freak out. It's going to be like, I don't know who I should go with. Melanie, Julia, <laughs> who's the real monarch here? Come on. Well, maybe if they all gather around and put one little pinky on it, 
they can have eight hands. Maybe that's what it's been building up to all along. Or they can just stand around the egg, hold hands, sing Kumbaya, see what happens to the dome. We have to find Lyle, though, in order for that to happen. I, I think Lyle probably just got freaked out and turned around and went back the other way. <laughs> Any more feedback this week, Wayne? Oh, yeah, we have more. We have more. The listener thoughts and theories. It's a cornucopia getting ready for Thanksgiving here in the States. In fact, we got an email here from uh, Brian. It says, I was bummed to hear you guys were down on this week's episode. I thought it was maybe the best episode of the series so far and maybe and at least the best from this season. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Brian goes on. I've got several thoughts about this particular episode. First of all, it was directed by RoboCop. Peter Weller himself directed this one, and it turns out he's very good with actors. I thought the acting, with the possible exception of the main black ops guy who is interrogating Barbie, was much better this week than it has been in in the past. I hope Weller comes back for more episodes because I thought he did a terrific job. Also, Bryant says, did you notice that the name Nicholas Strong did not appear in this week's episode? Do you suppose that means Phil has been written out of the series? Strong is, or maybe was, a series regular, but their names typically appear in the credits regardless of whether the actor is actually in the episode or not. So it feels to me as if Strong has been let go. If so, I've got a theory about that. With Phil on the series, there was always the perpetual question of whether or not he knew it was Big Jim and not Barbie who had actually killed Dodie. The show has just flat ignored that plot point, and my theory is that the producers realized that it was a massive mistake to turn Jim into a murderer last season, so they're going to simply ignore that issue as much as possible and having Phil not be on the series makes that more doable. On one hand, this is frustrating because it's a blatant plot hole. On the other hand, I think Jim is way more interesting the more complex he is, and having some point-blank murder people kind of removes that complexity. So, all things considered, I'm okay with the series ignoring that plot point. I just wish they'd gotten right to begin with the first time, but since they didn't, I'd much rather they focus on getting it right going forward. I, and I'm going to continue with Brian's in a minute. But Troy, what do you think about what uh, Brian has shared so far? Yeah, I noticed that too, that Nicholas Strong's name was not in the credits. And I didn't put that much thought into it as Brian did. But it kind of does make sense. We completely forgot about the fact that Barbie has this tied in connection to Phil Bushy from the Maxine ring and all of that jazz. And then, of course, he's blaming Barbie for killing Dodie. And then working with Big Jim and then he turns on Big Jim. So, you know, his character was kind of all over the map. And I think that might have been a little bit frustrating, probably even for Nicholas to say, well, what is my purpose? What is my direction? Who am I supposed to side with and who am I not supposed to side with? But they never did solve that murder and they never put that to bed. They just kind of were like, oh, well, you know, Barbie was on the gallows. Now Bobber's not on the gallows. And now Jim's on the gallows and now Jim's saved from the gallows. So. Let's just forget about the fact that Dodie's dead. Yeah, even if the town of Chester's Mill does not know who really the was the murderer, they've got a murderer roaming around free and they don't really seem to care too much. Because <laughs> apparently they think they're all safe. Anyways, Brian continues. I sort of feel the same way about how Junior isn't crazy anymore and they're just ignoring that he ever seemed to be. It's an inconsistency, but it's fine by me. But he liked this episode, just for the record. Yes, he did point that off right at the beginning. Brian Burnett does love the episode. Um, oh, he says, I love y'all, but I roll my eyes a bit every time you go off on one of your lost reveries. The vortex in the cage did not even remotely resemble the smoke monster from where I was sitting. The flashback, granted, were a wee bit lost-esque. But that was fine by me as far as I'm concerned. Every show ought to have a lost style flashback because they're awesome. Now we have to address that. And Brian, we love you and your uh, great feedback and everything. And it, it's kind of a fine line, I think, on some television shows, whether a show is giving a, a wink wink or an homage to Lost or. Like on Under the Dome, three or four times in the past month, it's been blatant thievery. Yeah, cameras at the exit point, total ripoff. And anybody that was a big fan of Sawyer and Juliet are still 
just up in arms over that scene being reused on Under the Dome. And then, of course, uh, I could see where people could, you know, on second watch, I still say Smoke Monster-ish, but uh, they did blend in a little Vortex thing. So we're going to have to agree to disagree on that particular one. But, uh, you know, we, we, we try not to have everything have a weekly comparison to loss, but they're making it a little too easy on us on under the dome. Yeah. Remember executive producer, Jack Bender lost writer, Brian K Vaughn lost. But anyway, back to uh, non lost things because this is under the dome radio and Brian wants us to get back to under the dome. Uh, Brian continues. I'd like to pose a crazy theory. Melanie is not actually Melanie. Melanie is, I don't know what she is to be honest. However, during this moment, I got a weird feeling that she was somehow channeling Angie and that she was somehow feeling some of Angie's conflicted feelings for Junior. I could be way off base, uh, Bryant says. Then again, in the scene in the fallout shelter, it could not be more obvious that she is reacting to the quote-unquote peacefulness there with some sort of knowledge of its meaning to Junior and or Angie. It might be that Melanie is empathic and she is not channeling Angie so much as she is channeling Junior's own feelings about Angie. Melanie is sensing how she felt about Angie and is trying to somehow replicate it for her own gain. I don't get any particular feeling of ill intent behind what she's doing, though. She feels more angelic in nature to me, especially during the flashbacks with young Barbie. I was fascinated by all of that and am very curious to see how that go or where that goes. Now, going to stop uh, another time. Troy, mind blowing. I didn't even think of any of that. that that's excellent stuff from Bryant. Yeah, I don't think she's channeling Angie. I think it's more, if anything, the empath- empathic feeling that she portrays kind of feeding off of Junior because there's part Junior, but there's also part her connection to Sam because Junior reminds her of Sam and they were boyfriend and girlfriend at one point. But, you know, creepy peacefulness feelings in a, you know, bomb shelter with nasty old mattresses that were flooded out and have to be smelling like mold and stuff. I mean, come on, really? I I think she's being manipulating. Uh, She's manipulating junior to feel comfortable. I wouldn't believe, wouldn't be surprised if maybe next week she all of a sudden goes back crazy and just attacks junior and uh, tries to kill him. But he gets away somehow. I think she's playing him just to get the egg because remember, she's the one that's supposed to protect it. Right. She, she is all over this. Don't give the egg up just to say Barbie. But (laughs) Yeah, I, I I could see it going any of these ways. Anyways, Bryant continues. Anyway, I personally thought this episode was really good and that it seemed to hint toward a possible new sophistication in certain aspects of the production. I'd like to think the trend will continue into the last four episodes and then on to season three. I'll be there to find out either way. Bryant and Bryant, thank you so very, very much uh, for sharing your thoughts. We will agree to disagree on just a few points, but some great theories in there. We love getting your emails. Feel free to send in a voicemail sometime if you'd like. But either way, we love your feedback and we will kind of go from there. And I know even more so than you, Troy, I I know I seem kind of really down on this episode and one from a couple of weeks ago. And even on the rewatch after reading some of these emails and hearing some of the voicemails, you know, I tried to see because you know, some people say it's the best episode ever or the, even the best of this season, like Brian touched on. And so I'm trying to grapple with these thoughts. Why do I see it this way and others see it this way? And it just reminded me, because everything goes back, even before Lost. I, I don't understand. Things were going so great. What, what happened? Something must have happened. It's not you. It's me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. All right. So basically, George Costanza on Seinfeld kind of sums it up for me. Uh, listeners, it's it's not you, it's me. What do you say, Troy? I think it's you. I mean, I <laughs> I didn't think the episode was the best of the season. Force Majeure was by far the best episode this season. It's also the most highest rated and the most DVR watched of the season. So Force Majeure was where all of this craziness started with the whole you know, what we buried stayed buried and all that jazz and the introduction of Lyle. So force majeure is going to be my top of the line for this season so far. 
Really? I think this episode does set up some cool stuff. I think this episode does pose some interesting questions. So because of that, I think you are a little bit down. So it's definitely you. <laughs> but at, this, at the same time, you know, it's the inconsistencies week to week that we get frustrated with. But at the same time, it's a great community, right? Whether you're watching this because you think it's awesome, whether you're watching this because you think it's a train wreck, it doesn't matter. We're all watching it anyway. So the best <laughs> part is that we could sit here every week and talk about it. And because of that, we find some interesting things out that make us want to watch it next week. And although Force Majeure for me was a really good episode, my favorite, the high point of the entire series was the season two opener written coincidentally enough by Stephen King. But within with that in mind... <laughs> But I thought things were going great. Yeah, so did I. Did she say why? No. <laughs> she tried to give me the it's not you, it's me routine. But that's your routine. So from now on, it's not you, it's me. <clears throat> Stephen King lover. <clears throat> that's why you like the opening so much. I don't blame you. I liked it too. I thought it was a really interesting twist because as book readers... The question that we all had coming into season two is where the heck is this thing going to go? So I thought it was a really interesting episode. I thought it was a great twist, but I still stick with force majeure because it sets up the majority of the season. We will agree to disagree. Both are excellent episodes. Now get your uh, notepads out, pens, pencils. There is a theory in here and some ideas that I did not see coming. And this, and as well as the other voicemails and theories that we got this week, this is what has me thinking, okay, maybe this can all be turned around. Check this one out, Troy, and listeners. Oh, gozaimasu, Wayne. Konnichiwa, Troy. This is Krista calling from Okinawa. Just wanted to weigh in on the Red Door episode. I've been toying with this theory ever since the show began. I think the dome is a product of a real-world experiment that's being conducted either by the government or by the or funded by the rich and powerful i felt that since the very beginning um i'm i've toyed with the idea that maybe what the dome is is a location that people can be preserved under should there be some catastrophic event that occurs in the world we can uh, rather than go into those underground tunnels that we all hear about uh, people would actually go into this this dome environment and with that is impervious to attack the only problem that i've had is how melanie fits in with this because uh, she clearly seems to have not aged and she appears to have come back from the dead. But you know what? After last night, first off, I, I don't trust Melanie. I think she's part of this experiment. I think she knows she's part of this experiment. And I'm not sure that she actually died back when we think she died. I'm thinking something happened to her. She was she was pushed. and But I think that she's been preserved. Is that like cryogenics? I think that's what that's called. But I think that she is part of the experiment. She was preserved, and maybe that's part of it too. Maybe this is how humans can preserve themselves, uh, live forever, get into an environment again that's imper impervious to attack. That's what I think. But I never have good predictions. So anyway, that's my thoughts for the Red Door. Let me know what you think. Domo Arigato, Krista, thank you so very, very much. Audio feedback all the way from Japan. Thank you. And I, I'm really, you say you don't have good theories. I am totally on board with both of those government experiment, experiment type of theories. What do you think, Troy? I think it's phenomenal. You know, a, a place where we could preserve humanity in case the world is destroyed and maybe this ties into the fact that Steven Spielberg is behind Amblin Entertainment. And we talk about Extant on CBS and Falling Skies is an Amblin production. And this was that whole, we haven't figured out a way to communicate with you, but we're trying. You know, it's, it's difficult. And maybe it's two alien races again. Like I mentioned, it's a, it's a two alien war. And the people of Chester's Mill are just stuck in the middle of the whole thing. And maybe that's what it is. It's just a way to protect them when the two alien races wipe out the rest of the earth. Right. And maybe that goes back to why we got that message near the end of season one, that the dome is there to protect you. 
maybe not necessarily there to protect the folks of Chester's Mill, but maybe the dome in the future will be there to protect all of humanity or select people. Maybe they can make the dome different sizes. Um, who knows? But Krista, that was so awesome. You are this week's honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the Week, all the way from Okinawa. We'll uh, be sure to mention you in the show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 41 for this episode. And if you want to be an honorary DJ, just send in an awesome theory or observation. Remember, you can contact us at underthedomeradio.com slash feedback or on Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast. Uh, send in your thoughts and theories from the next episode, which looks like wild things are bound to happen. You two could be the honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the week. Well, great fan feedback this week. Keep it up. It is so great to hear from all of you. And with that, we will move into our investigative reporting section, the spoiler zone. So just tune us down for about 30 seconds to a minute. If you don't want to know what's going to be happening on September 1st. Now, September 1st in the United States and in Canada is Labor Day. And because of that, it's typically marking the end of the summer season here in the Northern Hemisphere. And because of that, I found it very interesting that they are going to present what is known as the fall next week. It's actually going to be directed by Eric LaSalle of former ER fame. So Neil Bear pulling in more ER folks to, of course, direct here under the dome. And it's written by Alexandra McNally and Mark Linney and Bruner. And what we basically find out is that uh, Big Jim has obviously learned the fact that his wife is alive and him and Pauline will be reunited with each other on Under the Dome next week. The fall is going to also feature some climate change as it poses a new threat to Chester's Mill under the dome. So my theory of how Pauline got dried off so fast may not be so far fetched. <laughs> Another climate change. We're getting all the weather segments under the dome, possibly. I mean, we've already had the wind and the rain and the sand. I can only imagine. Season finale, calling it now, snow under the dome. And they will become a real-life snow globe. And if they also have an earthquake and it shakes up the snow, perfect. I think we've solved the riddles. Well, in the requests and dedications, we did have one new iTunes review, and it's from our feedback extraordinaire former Under the Dome Radio DJ of the Week, Anseth. And Anseth said that, I discovered Wayne and Troy from their Resurrection Revealed podcast coming very soon to Noodle Mix Network September 28th. And was so excited to find out that they actually had an Under the Dome podcast as well. This is truly the best podcast around. Not only do they produce several podcasts for each episode, but they thoroughly discuss on-air events, news about the show and its production, listener feedback and theories, and so much more. Thanks so much, Anseth, for sending that in. And again, if you want to leave an iTunes review because you love the show or the fans that give in their feedback, you can go to underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes, leave that review and five star right there. That is fantastic. Anseth, thank you so very, very much. Very kind words. Oh, we, we appreciate it. And it really does help out the show. And yes, uh, Resurrection, totally different kind of show. Totally different kind of podcast, but me and Troy will be ready for that one as we transition from Under the Dome. But uh, we still have four more Dome episodes left, so hang tight. Well, we've had a lot of fun, of course, this evening. We've actually gone longer than probably all of our other podcasts so far this season. So this episode must actually have been pretty decent to have as many fan feedback people call in. Wayne will take some happy pills as he watches the last four of the season. <laughs> And of course, if you want to help out the show, you can just head on over to underthedomeradio.com and give us a propane tank donation to keep the radio station running. And you can even just leave your review for the podcast just right inside the iOS device. If you use an iPhone or iPad, leave your iTunes review right there. And as far as happy pills, my favorite happy pill is uh, Whoppers, malted malt balls. I chew them instead of swallowing them because, boy, they really get stuck in your throat. But we love connecting with all of you, so make sure you head over to our social links right at the top of underthedomeradio.com. Place for Facebook, place for Twitter. You can even listen to the show in iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app. Again, be connected to the Chester's Mill community with all the domies and domeheads. And we thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking some time out, uh, giving us your thoughts and theories. Everybody's got a thought and theory. We love to share them all. 
Again, just visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details on how to share yours. But until that next episode, I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, swimming my way to safety as we stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy. Theorize over great television shows and so much more. All waiting for you at noodle.mx.